Good morning. Jamie got in at 2.30 this morning, um, and Connie, Connie's been flying uh, for a long time. <laughs> it's been a couple days now. Uh, the amazing thing, we are praying, we, I asked prayer Wednesday night, for that Connie would be able to get, and Rowan would be able to get a resting room or a day room at the airport, and that's been very, very difficult in the past. And it was the smoothest time she's ever had getting a room. It was as easy as could be. Um, so they they had 12 hours layover in Calcutta. We really don't like to go into Calcutta if we can help it. And so we were able to. She was able to stay uh, with Rowan in the in the waiting room. Got up at midnight their time and for a flight at 3 a.m. and then has been flying uh, ever since and she gets in tonight Lord willing to Portland at 1030 um, so thank you for your your prayers for them and uh, Lord willing we'll see Jamie here next week we're in first Corinthians chapter 12 you have a lot of ground to cover this morning 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, and moving on. My points this morning are that God designed diversity in the church. So, you cannot be a spectator. God designed diversity in the church, so you are not the hero. God designed diversity in the church, so that we can use our gifts to serve one another. God designed diversity in the church, so you're not a spectator. God designed diversity in the church, so you're not the hero. God designed diversity in the church, so that we can serve one another with our gifts. As, as, a, as a church... Um, and people in our circles, we tend to be strong creationists. We believe that God created the world and everything that's in it. He designed it, and we believe that we can see that design. There's, a, there's an old story, and I have no idea if it's true. Uh, I heard it many years ago and tried to find it on the Internet and, and couldn't find it. But the story went like this. There was a creationist that was invited to a radio station to to do a radio interview. And the host was very gracious with him and invited him in, and they're talking. And then just before they're about to go on air, the host leans over and says, I am going to destroy you. I plan to just take you, just pick you apart piece by piece. Okay, let's start. (laughs) And so he begins the interview... And his first statement and question was, prove to me, prove to me that God created the earth. You can't prove to me. I know you can't. And, but I want you to just try. Try to prove to me. So what the man did was he said, do you see that microphone in front of you? Where do you think it came from? The man said, I don't know. It was here when I got here. Okay, but when you look at it, where where do you think it came from? Well, I assume the audio engineers bought it and 
and installed it. The creationist said, I think it came from the dump. I think it came out of the trash. They found a bunch of pieces in the trash and they just put them there. You can't prove it. You can't prove any different. So why do you think it didn't come from the dump? The guy said, well, look at it. It's, it's nice. It's, it's uh, well made. It works. It's, it's high quality. And the creationist said, yeah, exactly. You can see all those things. Now look at your hand. Look at how it works, how it functions, how it was designed. The design in creation is something that we as creationists look at and say, okay, God did this. It's evidence of God's work. But this passage is telling us that the body of Christ is brought together By the very design of God. And just as we are confident in the design of God in creation, we should be confident of the design of God in the body of Christ. Look with me, verses 12 and 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So he's saying that, yes, we are one, but he's brought many together. Verse 14, for the one body is not one member, but many. And then jumping ahead for a moment to verse 18, but now God, now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased Him. How did we get here? Why are we part of this body? Because God designed it that way. God gave different gifts to each of us. All of us who have been born again, who have come to Christ, have been baptized into the same Spirit. That gift was given to every one of us. But then the outworking of the Spirit in our lives is given to us in different ways. And we express the work of the Spirit through different gifts. And God brings those gifts together into a whole. Those differences, those different parts of the body are designed for a purpose. Our body, even our skin, we have skin all over our body, but the skin itself on our body is different in different places. It has different functions. And it's all skin. But the skin on the palm of my hand is Very different from the skin on the back of my hand. I don't have fingerprints on the back of my hand. There's differences there in in that oneness. And God's designed this. God brings people and gifts into our body because He knows the mission that He's calling us to next. He's preparing us for what He has for us. So that we can reach out 
to, to Midcoast Maine so that we can reach out to this whole region, so we can reach out to our state, to our country, and to our world. He's giving those gifts to this body, and it's by His design. I think, I think we can, can look at the design of creation and say, and recognize, oh yes, God designed that for His purposes. He designed my hand to work the way it works. And yet ignore the design, or even think it's an accident that this person was brought into our body. That they are, they are different and they don't, they don't function the way we function and, and their gifts don't really match with, with our gifts and their workings and their administrations, what we talked about last week, those, those operations, how they work, doesn't God design this? God put it together. God gifts His people. And so because of God's design, there's temptations that we have to ignore that design and think of ourselves and think of what what we want. And the first thing he points out here is that Verse 15, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the foot says it's not of the body, is it suddenly no longer part of this body? No, my foot is still there. Verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? You see, because you're gifting, because the work of the Spirit in your life is shown, is demonstrated in a different way than other people in the body, in the family of Christ, in this church, you do not get to say, oh, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to use my gift. I'm not going to participate because it's it's different than what they're doing. And I'm, I'm not that person and I can't get up front here and teach and I can't do this, so I'm out. No. You don't get to do that. You see, the, the, the design of God is that you are here and you are gifted. Last week, or not last week, two weeks ago, we talked about how Each of us has been gifted. Every man has been given a gift. We're all gifted. And God designed this body for you to be here using your gifts. Not saying, "Mm, I'm not like that. I don't do what they do. I can't do it that way. So... I'm out. I'll just sit here. I'll just show up. Showing up's good. But that's not why God gifted you. That's not why God designed you. And that that design, God designed, that truth is the answer to this excuse. We don't get to make that decision. It's not us. Verse 18, once again, 
God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased Him. It's God's design. It's His choice, not ours. So we don't get to say, "Hmm, not me. I don't think my gifts would be appreciated here. It's God's choice because it's by God's design. Next, God designed the church or designed diversity in the church. So you are not the hero. Moving on, verse 19. And if there were all one member, if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, sometimes those, our gifts become the one way that we see the Spirit can work. That if everybody was like me, then our church would be growing. If everybody was like me, our church would be healthy. If everybody was expressing the Spirit the way I express the Spirit, if they had my gifts, then this would be a good church. That's like saying that the, you know, that the, the, all of us should be, our whole body should be a bunch of eyeballs. They should all be like the, the same. Well, that's not a body. That, that's, a, that's just a, it's, it's just parts. The whole, the, the, the point that the difference, the diversity, brings is that my one part of the body helps the other part of the body. My hand needs my body and my body needs my hand. They're, they're interdependent. They're connected and depending on each other. And the body of Christ is like that. You see, I don't have the gifts that Charlie has. Charlie doesn't have the gifts that I have. And because of that, we need each other. You see, if I, if we all had the same gifts, oh, I've got all the gifts, you've got all the gifts, okay, we don't need each other. We've, we're, we're, we've got everything we need. But that's not how God designed it. He gave different gifts to different people. And so we need each other. But oftentimes we can say, oh, look at that guy. If everybody was like him, or look at me, if everybody was like me. And as a missionary, I've heard missionaries come and preach and uh, at times, and it's as if they're saying, all of you, everyone, should leave their home and go be missionaries overseas. And, and their, their message kind of comes across like, okay, we, we all, you all should do what I'm doing. Should all go plant churches. And perhaps they need to state it to that degree to break through the wall, the barriers that we put up to, to those who are being called into missions. But that's not how God has designed the church. It's not that we all go out and all do the same thing. No. 
We need hands. We need feet. We need eyes. We need ears. We need each other. Our gifts, our differing gifts, brought together for the purposes of God. For His mission. And we need to recognize that in our gifts, that we are not the hero. We don't, we're not the solution. We don't fix the problem. That God has set each of us in diversity, in our differences, for a reason. That we have, have different gifts for the purpose of serving each other. And without that, if we think, oh, if everybody was like me, or that person over there, boy, I, I don't know what's going on there, but they don't seem like they're doing things the way I do them. That doesn't seem like the way I would want to show the Spirit. I'm not doing it that way, and they shouldn't either. When we do that, we cause schism. It's like saying, oh, well, you know, my, my foot isn't like my hand, so we'll divide, we'll cut it off. We'll get rid of it. Because my hands are useful, but my foot isn't like my hand. Foolishness. But we do that in churches. We have churches that are, you know, one church over here is full of eyeballs and another church over there is full of ears and another, because people that like each other and look like each other and act like each other congregate together and say, oh, well, we like this and, and we're not like that. God wants to say that Jesus is Lord, the beginning of the, the chapter. Jesus is Lord, and because of that, I can bring together all these different people from Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. I can bring them together all under the Lordship of Christ and make beauty, design beauty out of those differences. You see, the differences aren't to divide us. The differences are to make something beautiful. We get into this verse, uh, verse 22. Much more those members of the body which seem more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think less honorable upon those, these we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. So what does all that mean? There's a lot in there, but think of it this way. Connie tells me I have ugly feet. and uh, But when I'm working on with heavy objects... I have a pair of work boots that have steel toes in them. So even though my toes are ugly, I literally wrap them in steel to protect them because I want to keep them. I'm not wrapping anything else in steel. I am my toes. So in one way, I'm giving greater honor to my ugly toes than I am to my hands. 
That's how the body is supposed to work with those who are feeble, with those who are weak, with those who are broken, with those who are hurting, is that in our gifts, we come around that one who is different, who is suffering, and we use our gifts to protect them, to wrap them up, to take care of them, to fill in what lacks, to cover that uncomeliness, that ugliness with beauty. That's how it should be. And then the passage goes on further to say that we suffer with those who suffer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. When you pound your thumb with a hammer, you start hopping on one foot. Why? Because when your thumb hurts, your whole body feels it. And that's how the body of Christ should be. That when one of us is broken or hurting, the body... Is coming around them and saying, we love you and we hurt with you. I heard a testimony recently of a man um, named Austin. And as a young boy, his father was a pastor. And Austin's impression of Christianity was that you'd get all dressed up and go to all the services and try to look like the perfect family. But as soon as you got in the car... You started fighting. And as soon as you got home, the fights got worse. And this went on for years. Until his father began abusing his mom. And when Austin was eight, his father left the church and he left his family. But the leaders of the church came to Austin's mom And said, you know, it's really awkward to have you here. We're sorry for what happened. But to have you here as the the former pastor's wife and after all this that happened, it's it's really hard to have you be a member of our church. You see the schism that comes... When you think that everybody needs to be like you and those that are broken get cut off. Is it suffer with those who suffer? Except when it's awkward. Except when it's difficult. Except when it's expensive. Except when I have to sacrifice for it. No, we're a body put together by God. And we recognize that those who are feeble, those who are weak, that our gifts have been given to us to protect and to love that one, not to cut them off. And so our gifts are to be used for the good of the body. They're to be used not so that we can set ourselves up as saying, I have the gift that all of you need. And not so we can set ourselves apart and say, I'm not like that, so I can't do that, so I I don't fit in here, so 
No. Neither of those work. The different parts of the body come together to function as a whole so that we can truly serve one another. We can truly love one another so that we can depend upon the differing gifts that God has brought together, has designed for our church to have. We can take that and bind those gifts together so that we can show mercy and so we can show love and so we can instruct and so we can bear burdens. All of that coming together so that we can serve each other fully, beautifully, and protect those who are weak and build up one another and rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, the the whole body should be affected by what's happening to one member. And that should cause us to say, what gifts has God given me? What is the how is the spirit indwelling in me to be lived out in this moment for that one who is suffering, for that one who is rejoicing? How can I be part of that body? How can I be used for that? Because God is calling us to that. These two temptations are very, very real. They are, it's, in our minds, we're very, it's, we're very quick to see differences. And to say, you know what? I'm going to cut that person off. I'm going to to separate myself from that person because they're different than I am. So it's so easy in our flesh to get proud about our gifts or to get closed about our gifts and say, you know what? The last time I tried to use my gifts... No one appreciated it. And frankly, if I do it again, I think that it's just going to be worse the next time. The design of God comes to us to say, no, you don't get to make that choice. I set you here for a purpose. That doesn't mean be offensive. Certainly do it in love. That's what we're talking about uh, next in chapter 13. It must be done in love for the sake of the body, not for yourself. Because if it's for yourself, then you're setting yourself up as the hero that I'm going to fix this. Peter is a tremendous example of this. Turn with me back to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to look at verse, from verse 9 and on, but let me, let me walk you through the last few weeks of Peter's life leading up to this point. So Peter has told Christ that he will 
die for him. He has set himself up as, oh, because Christ is telling, has been telling him all along, I'm going to be, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And now he's very specifically saying, I'm, the, the, the Pharisees, they're, they're, they're going to attack. And Peter says, I'll follow you to the death. These other guys, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm all in. And Jesus looks at him and says, before the night's out. That's what before the cock crows mean. Before the night's over, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So they're in the garden. The soldiers come. Peter pulls out a short sword, goes for a head, misses and gets an ear. Jesus hasn't put the sword away, heals the ear, and Peter follows from a distance. Peter's following him, and there's a fire. He's warming his hands by the fire, and he's watching the proceedings of the trial. And a slave girl recognizes him. Weren't you? Weren't you one of the guys with with him? Now remember... I will die for you. I'll go to the death for you, Jesus. He's setting himself up as the hero. And now a slave girl is asking him, weren't you one of those guys? I think I saw you. Peter's like, nope. No, wasn't me. Second time. No, I'm, I'm sure of it. You were right up front. You were right with him. This time Peter makes an oath. I swear I was not with him. Then there's others standing around and they recognize him too. And the pressure's building. Yeah, we saw you. This time with an oath and a curse. I swear I wasn't with him. Let that man be damned. He curses Christ. The cock crows. Jesus looks. Peter runs. There's the hero. So what does he do? He goes fishing. Even after the resurrection, here he is in John 21. He's fishing. Why? Because he's failed. He's taken himself out. He's just sitting on the sidelines now watching. Because he can't do it. He, he, He had his chance and he blew it and that's it. So now, now he's standing there He's, 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 or not standing there. He's there fishing. He's the spectator. And so now we're come, we've come to John 21 9.
John 21.9. What has happened here is Peter is Jesus has come on come on the shore. They don't know it's him, and he he says what every man on the shore says to fishermen. Are you catching anything? And they say no. But this is exactly what he said three and a half years ago. Exactly what happened when he called them. Are you catching anything? No. He says, cast your nets on the other side. Disciples still don't get that, oh yeah, this, this seems very familiar. Until they pull up the net and it's full of fish and Peter says, oh, it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water. And he, he jumps in and he's, he he's leaves, leaves the guys with the fish. And he goes and he kneels before Christ. They prepare a meal. Verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid, on, laid thereon and bread. Jesus was already preparing breakfast for them. There's a moment here. It's, it's, it's just fascinating what Jesus has set up. This, this fire, verse 9, they saw a fire of coals. This is just one word in Greek. That word is used in one other place in Scripture. Peter's denial of Christ when he warmed his hands by a fire. It's a fire of coals. He's taking him right back. I when I like uh, cooking over charcoal. I don't always cook over charcoal, but when I do, and we have friends come over, oftentimes they'll say, "Oh, I just love that smell," because those those smells those that are our, our sense of smell is the most reminiscent. It's the one that triggers the most memories. Connie says that when she uh, smells certain rain on certain dust, she's just immediately a little girl running down a trail in the Amazon River trying to beat the rainstorm before she can get back to the hut. And that just takes her back and brings tears to her eyes. Just that smell. Christ is showing him And Christ is bringing him back here. But before we go on into what Christ does, I I want to give you this example. (laughs) A friend of mine has this hat, and I took a picture of it. Just a kid from Maine. And I asked him what he thought, what does that mean? We discussed it, and he said, well... I'm not everything. I'm not a superhero. I'm just a kid. But at the same time, I'm from somewhere. I know people. I have a place I've, I've come from. And I have others that are with me. So I'm not nothing. I'm not, I'm not the hero. But I'm also not nothing. Because I'm from somewhere. And Jesus is going to take 
an idea like this. He's going to walk Peter through that. Let's, let's look at what happens in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now this love here is agape love, devoted, self-sacrificial love that Jesus is asking about. Do you love me more than these guys love me, Peter? Do you love me more than the other disciples that were there? Because Peter had said, oh, I'm going to die for you. In other words, Peter, are you better than these guys? What does Peter come back with? He says, yes, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. But he uses familial, familiar love. The kind of love a brother has for his brother. Not the devoted love that Christ had asked him about. In other words, what he's saying is, Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these guys love me? And Peter's saying, Jesus, you know, I'm just a guy that loves you. That's it. Then a second time. Or no, sorry. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Peter's looking at this and saying, this isn't enough. I've failed. I've denied you. But I still love you, Lord. I know I'm not the hero now. That's clear. That's obvious. But I still love you. And Christ says, yeah, that's right where I want you, Peter. See, Christ doesn't need a hero. He is the hero. He proved that through the resurrection. He's the hero of the story. So what he needs is men and women who love him. He tells Peter, feed my sheep. Don't take yourself out because you're not the hero. Use what I've given you. Use what I've gifted you to feed my flock. To love the brethren. To serve the brethren. To give them the truth of God's word. And that's what Peter will do. And three times they go back and forth. Do you love me more than these, Peter? Why does he do it three times? Because around that fire of coals, Peter is there and Christ is saying, I know exactly how you failed. And I am willing to go all the way down there and still call you, Peter, to feed my sheep. And Peter's saying, I'm just a guy who loves you. And Christ is saying, yes, that's who I need.
Christ doesn't overlook this sin. He doesn't just gloss over it. No, don't worry about that. But he walks right into it because Peter has so deeply identified himself with this failure that Christ is saying, yeah, I know about that too. And so then Peter can go on the mission of God, feeding his sheep, knowing that his Savior knows the deepest, darkest things about him. And yet, Peter's just a guy that loves him. He's not the hero. He's not the fisherman. He's just a guy who's called to feed Christ's flock. That's who he is. That's who... This body needs to be. That's who Christ is calling us to be. Is that just kids from Maine. Just someone who has surrendered their lives to Christ. And in our feeble, weak lives, we pour out our love to Christ and just say, this is all I've got. And in that, we're dying to ourselves and recognizing we're not in charge. We don't get to decide. We're not the hero. We're not going to save the day. Jesus saves the day. And so I lay down my life and I just say, I love you. And from that position, Christ calls us to serve and love one another to serve the body, to be those that are gifted in the Spirit with different, diverse gifts that come together to make this beautiful creation of God. And all it takes is just men and women who recognize who they are before their Savior and love Him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this body. Thank you for your design. Thank you for what you have created here, for your gifts. I pray that we would value them so much that we would use them well. I pray that we would suffer with those who suffer, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice, and we would take these gifts that have been given to us and use them for the good of others to serve and to love as you served and loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.